0: welcome to the all people's church podcast we believe in loving god strengthening families and developing leaders we are so excited for you to hear this life-changing message recorded live at one of our worship experiences remember to share and subscribe to this podcast and enjoy the message all right here we go matthew 16 i am can i just say uh, am i allowed to say i'm proud of myself can i say that I'm so happy of the progress we're making. We're in chapter 16, ladies and gentlemen. We are so close to finishing, literally a couple pages over, and there is the conclusion of the gospel of Matthew. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself when we finish, um, but uh, something will happen. And you know what I mean? Mark. Jesus will come back. And uh, <laughs> somebody, said, somebody said, Mark, yeah. Let's see, let's see what's going to happen. Just a heads up, we are going to take a little bit of a break from Matthew in, uh, in May um, to do Undercover. So those of you not familiar with Undercover, Undercover is um, really, it's a, it's a course that is uh, mandatory for everyone who serves um, at any capacity here at APC. And so because we haven't done it in, in, a, in, a, in a while, uh, the amount of people that are going to probably attend is going to be like a vast, a vast group that we probably can't handle in like a classroom setting, and so what we're going to do is we're going to do it here in the sanctuary, and so that's going to be uh, that's going to be a six-week thing, and so it's going to take us from May to June, um, and so we're going to break from uh, the Gospel of Matthew Bible study, and we're going to do Undercover, which is a video series, but there's going to be discussion and all of that um, in. In that, in that time, but it's still a good time. Whether you serve or not, you're still going to benefit from that series. It's a great series not talking. No, it's not only for people who serve, so you're welcome to just attend. Uh, for those who do serve, we are gonna be taking attendance, just to make sure, because it's, it's a requirement, and so if you do serve at any capacity, we'll be, we will be taking attendance so to make sure that uh, you know, you're meeting the requirements for, for serving here and uh, and all that good stuff. It, it's a course regarding biblical authority um, and it's it is, it is inc- it's really good, it's very well done and so we always have a good time with it when we do it and a lot of people are, are set free from certain things that they've held in their own hearts and their own, uh, own minds and stuff like that, even this idea and concept of being church hurt and all of that, it's gonna be incredibly helpful um, for that as well. So just wanted to give you Give you a heads up um, so that when we get there, you're not like, all right, Pastor Mel, you know, you mentioned progress in the Gospel of Matthew um, and we're not making money. Okay, well, listen, Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse one. I'm so excited for tonight's study. We're going to have a good time. Are you there? Matthew 16, verse one. Um, why don't we stand for God's word All right, Matthew 60. Well, it would help if I was on the right page. Okay, here we go. All right, here's what the Bible says. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning... It will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You, will, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. If you've been here for the sessions of Matthew, you know this moment has kind of happened before. So he left and departed them. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you brought no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember? The five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered. Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 12, Matthew tells us, Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these moments that we can share in your presence. We know that you are here, you are present, you are real. And Lord, we thank you, God, just for this this break, this, this moment where we can pause, even in the middle of our week, to turn our attention on you as a community, to study your word together. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher that we, Lord, would have understanding, that we would perceive what you're trying to say to us, and that you would allow us to have fun, have a good time, and to be sharpened, Lord, as your followers, as your disciples. God, that we would not lack in what we need to wholeheartedly follow you, even as your word says that everything has already been supplied to us and for us that relates to life and godliness. And so we lean into that, we lean into you, Thank you for the incredible weather, early April, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you haven't said hi to anyone, turn around, say hi, we're a community, you are in the company of friends. <laughs> All right, okay, you ready to have a good time? All right, so you notice we're not using the TV today, um, so you're going you're gonna to use your Bible. All right, surprise, you came to a Bible study. And we're actually going to use the Bible. That was a joke. Only one of you laughed. All right. <laughs> okay, so you have your Bible there? All right. Matthew 16. Okay, so uh, how many remember kind of the stuff that has happened leading up leading up to this point? We know uh, immediately before this point, Jesus feeds the 4,000. And, of course, he brings that um, to the memory of the disciples. He says, uh, you know, don't you remember, you know, how many baskets we had left over with the 5,000, with the 4,000? And all this stuff has happened. We know of the, um, of the other time that the Pharisees begin to question Jesus regarding, you know, the traditions of the elders. And so we, we continue to see We continue to see Pharisees in the midst of the ministry and the work of Jesus. We continue to see Pharisees and now Sadducees um, come against Jesus and resist him. And even tonight, as we read, uh, test him. Test him, right? They come to test to test Jesus, which is which is an interesting, which is an interesting thing. And then in the in the midst of it, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the faith of the Canaanite woman. Now the whole point of that story was for the audience of Matthew to see. Right? Because remember, the audience of Matthew, he's writing to Jewish Christians. Right? Jewish are Jewish people are the original chosen people of God. Right? Paul says that the good news came to the Jews first then to the Gentiles then right and in the midst of in the midst of all these Jews rejecting Jesus you have this story that Matthew puts in here of a woman who does not belong at the table who has no right to be at the table and yet she receives from Jesus because of what she does no because of who she is no Because of her performance? No. But because of her faith. Yeah, some of you are paying attention. I like that. Because of her faith. And so in the midst of all this rejection, you have this woman who does not belong at the table exercise her faith, which should lead the readers to conclude that the issue that. Those rejecting Jesus are having is the issue of unbelief. It's the issue of unbelief. It's not that Jesus is not who he says he is. Tonight, as we read, they asked him for a sign. How many know Jesus has been doing miracles and works? Hello. <laughs> right? He's, he's been healing the blind, the mute, the lame. He's walked on water. He's calmed the storms. He is doing miraculous things. And yet they ask him for a sign. And so the issue is not, is Jesus who he's saying he is? It's, the issue isn't whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. The issue is unbelief. It's, it's I don't believe you, which is an interesting thought because God can, be, God can be operating and working as God. But unless we choose to believe him, we don't benefit from him. Hello? even the gospel message, right? So John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? So, so God has given his son for the world. But the next verse is, whosoever believeth, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In other words, God has done something for the whole world, but the whole world does not benefit. Only those who can come out of unbelief into faith can benefit. You see that? So there's, there's a moment, that, that, that's a good moment for us to pause. For us to just ask the Holy Spirit to do some internal work in our in our hearts and in our minds, and maybe if you're taking notes, you maybe just wanna write that down, that, that later on in my time with God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over this, I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to search my heart, search my mind of where there might be unbelief. Where in my life is God trying to show up as God, but I am not benefiting because I won't step out of unbelief? Right? Hello? Okay. So we have this, so we have that moment. And then again, right after this moment, we're again addressed tonight with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who come to Jesus and they say, well, why don't you call a sign from heaven? Why don't you call a sign from heaven? It's as if Matthew was telling his audience, there is this sign, there is this, there is this tendency within humanity that you can be looking at the same thing hello and and see something different i don't get it i can't explain it to you right other than other than what i've already tried to to explain in terms of unbelief and and those who will come into faith um we can we can speculate. We can we can go into different scriptures that talk about the hardness of hearts. We could talk about uh, Paul saying, you know, uh, those who are not spiritually minded, they can't perceive the spiritual things, right? So we can we can go in all of all of the different. So there, there's a bunch of different reasons that we can we can get to why this exists. But the reality is, it exists. It exists. You can be looking at the same thing and see something. Different, which is an interesting thing because we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Jesus has to turn to his disciples and say, do you still not understand? Right? Like, how long have you been looking at me? How long have you been looking at me and you're still not getting the right picture? You're still not getting the right understanding. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. Tonight, what I really want to talk about is, you know, a A statement, but also a question, and that is, how, how do you miss Jesus? How do you miss Jesus? I alluded to this a little bit on on Good Friday. Sometimes we miss Jesus because God shows up not looking like God. Hello? If you've been following Jesus, you know, for a little while now, you can look back into your life and and you can recognize God showing up not looking like God. Yeah. But now, in hindsight, you know that that was God. Yes. Yeah. But in the moment, you're like, where is God? Yeah. So, so God can show up not looking like God. Yeah. Right? Yes. And, so, and so that's just the reality and the nature of God. And so in those moments, what you and I have to learn to do, what you and I have to mature into is getting familiar with the character of God enough that when he works in ways I do not understand nor can I comprehend, I can still trust him. I can still not fall and, and waver and, and doubt and, and I can still keep my eyes on Jesus, the one who told me to come and walk on the water and not be distracted by the wind and the waves because I've become so acquainted with his character. And if you sit around some mature believers, and what I mean by mature believers is those who've been following Jesus for a while. I like to call them the, the old saints. If you sit around some old saints, you'll realize that they are well acquainted with his character. They are well acquainted with his character. They might not have the answer to every question, but they can tell you and they can be confident in the fact that God is faithful, God is trustworthy, and somehow he will take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. Right? And so the more we mature in our discipleship, in our following of Jesus, it is us becoming more acquainted with his character. Right? I've said it I've said it before, but I think it I think it deserves repeating, God's character should never surprise us. God is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? He's unchanging. And so God's character should never surprise us. That doesn't mean his ways won't surprise us. Okay? His ways will surprise us. The way he works in one season <laughs> Come on, are we, are we are we doing all right tonight? The way he the way he works in one season does not determine and does not conclude that he's going to work the same way in the next season. Come on somebody. Amen. Right? And so and so we see that throughout throughout scripture We see it. And so we have to learn to lean into the character of Jesus, and so the character of God. And so that will allow us to not miss Jesus in moments where God shows up not looking like God because we know his character. And so even if we're unfamiliar with his ways, we can trust in him, right? We can trust in him. Um, And so... That, that is one way to miss Jesus. But then there's another way to miss Jesus. And, and we're going get to get into that tonight. And so you see the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come to Jesus and they come to test him. And the first time we, we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees come together, joined, is all the way back in Matthew chapter 3 during the time where John is baptizing people and Jesus comes to the scene to be baptized by him. It's the only other time we see, in at least the Gospel of Matthew, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come together, um, and this is an important thing to kind of just highlight because the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, they they didn't always get along. They're they're bitter opponents. They didn't have the same theology, and so for that reason they didn't get along, and they 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 were known to join forces when they saw a threat to their leadership and their influence. Isn't that fascinating? So, so they, they look at Jesus and they say, well, he's a common enemy. He's a threat to our leadership and our influence. And so why don't we come together on this? Normally we hate each other, but if it means taking on Jesus, If it means removing his influence, then let's come together. That's what we're seeing happen in the world, by the way. Hello? It's like, if you really sit down with certain people and certain ideologies and certain movements, they don't always see eye to eye. But man, they will come together to fight against Jesus. They will come together to tell you Christianity is the thing killing the West, killing our society, killing our progress. Now if only these people were educated enough to do some history and they would actually see that Christianity through history has progressed society. We're the reasons they have education, universities, colleges. Hello, somebody? So don't let anybody tell you Christianity is, is causing society to be held back. Christianity allowed society to move forward. All right? And so they, they join forces when they see a threat to their leadership and their influence, which is just allows us to see to see a small glimpse into the human heart of, of how we are. When it's it's only when we are threatened that we're going to rise up. You know what I mean? It's not until something hits close to home, which is a funny thing about about Christians, eh? We. We're, we're so passive. But man, do something to me or mine. Hello? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, we, are, we are selfish. We, we have the tendency to, to, protect, to protect ours. And so when there's a threat that hits close to home, well, then I'm going to rise up. Then I'm going to say a couple of things. But I think we need to have the, the heart, the courage, the faith, the audacity, you know, to be able to call right, right, and wrong, wrong, even if it's not close to home. You know what I'm saying? And so they came, they came, notice to test him. If you are got your Bible there in front of you, they came to test him. Um, and what do they do as as a means to test him, they ask him for a sign. Now, I know nobody's going to admit it, but you and I treat God like this sometimes, don't we? Oftentimes, the reason we ask God for signs is because we're testing him. Let me just see if he's still faithful. Hello? Let me just, let me just see if he's still good. Let me just see. Let me just see if, if I'm still his And that's a very interesting position to sit in because when we, when we begin to test God, we, we are going back into unbelief. And we're coming out of faith. And the Bible says you can't please God unless you're actually in faith. Right? Which is why God doesn't like to be tested because it's a sign of unbelief. It's not a sign of faith it's a sign of unbelief now it's interesting because they they've seen Jesus already do signs they've seen Jesus they've heard it but but they want to see it for themselves and they say they say well show us a sign from heaven now remember the last time Jesus was doing signs and they were around they misinterpreted his signs they go they go you do this by the power of the devil and Jesus is perplexed he goes He goes, how will the devil's kingdom stand if he's fighting against himself? You make no sense, right? And there's that scripture where Jesus talks about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because he goes, I'm doing the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not doing the work of the devil. And if you can't recognize that, that's blasphemy. And so isn't it interesting? They have the tendency to misinterpret signs and yet here they are asking for another one. And, of course, Jesus knows the condition of their heart. And um, see that word test? If you're, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down or highlight this in your in your Bible. Um, they're, they're not actually asking in good faith. They're doing it to test him. This is the same word used in chapter 4 when Jesus is in the wilderness, and at the end of his, at the end of his 40 days or is at the end of chapter 3, I believe, Satan comes to tempt him. It's the same word. Okay? So the same word that Satan used to tempt Jesus, this is the word that Matthew throws in there that they came to test him. It's almost as if Matthew was inferring that they're, they're coming here to do the devil's work. They're not here actually wanting to see Jesus for who he is. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to set him up. They're tempting him. They're testing him, just like the devil did at the end of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. Now they go and they say, we want to see a sign from heaven. Now, why a sign from heaven? Can you think about a moment in the Bible where there was a sign from heaven? Think Old Testament. Old Testament. Where we're a sign came down from heaven. That's good, that's good. Jesus, yeah. Moses, yes. The pillars, the clouds, yeah. There you go, Elijah. Elijah, Ahab, Baal, right? Yeah, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. The heavens open up. Something like a dove ascends and there's a voice that comes from there, right? I think the, the Ahab and the Elijah story is very interesting because there you have, you have a people, a numerous people, that represent false gods and idols that have entrapped the people of Israel. And so Israel gives way to the worship of Baal and there's this showdown. Right? How do you say the Bible's boring? The Bible is so entertaining. There's a showdown and it's basically like Alright, my God versus your God, and whoever got whoever's God is real will show up. <laughs> I love that. If your God is real, your God will show up. If my God is real, my God will show up. And so, and so you you know, <laughs> you know the story, right? Let's call down from let's call down fire, see what happens. And and of course Elijah gets he gets very confident. You know what I mean? Like, is your God stuck up there? What's happening? You, you know? <laughs> Oh, is he is he I think is, is he constipated up there is this, that's that's the language that he uses. It's just Elijah knows that his God is going to show up so much so the, that he he puts water. And um, and they pray to Baal and they pray to Baal and they pray to Baal and nothing happens and Elijah prays to God, the living God. And fire. And so it's almost as if It's almost as if the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I wonder if they envisioned envisioned this moment. Only they thought that they were Elijah and, and Jesus is those representing Baal. But it was backwards, you see. It was Jesus serving the living God and it was these Pharisees and Sadducees serving Baal. Because either the God that is before them is real or the God that they perceive and conceived of in their minds is real both can't be real hello yeah. both can't be one has to be real and so they say from give us a sign from heaven and 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 Jesus in typical Jesus fashion doesn't answer the question the way you and I would answer the question, you know what I mean? It's not a simple straight yes or no with Jesus. Jesus Jesus has to go a little bit deeper. He has to expose their, their hearts. And he says, when, when, when it's evening, you say it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be storming today for the sky is red. And so in both cases, The sky is red. Yet, Jesus says, you know how to interpret that. It's the same color. But depending on the time of day, it can mean something different. And you know how to interpret that. But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. You cannot interpret the signs of the times. And I'm sure you've heard the statement, signs of the times. Jesus coined that statement. The signs of the time. It's, it's as if Jesus is saying, you're, you're good with things that won't matter a hundred years from now. But what is actually going to matter a hundred years from now you pay no attention to, and it's standing right in front of you. Isn't that interesting? I think, I think again, there's a moment for us to pause and say, man, what am I paying attention to? I think we will often miss Jesus if we pay attention to things that won't matter 100 years from now. See, this is why Jesus has to tell, tell his disciples Your priority is to seek first the kingdom. It's like, you, you know, when you decorate a shelf, the first thing you see is whatever shelf is eye level. And then your eye can travel everywhere else. But the easiest place for you to look at, the place that makes the most sense, is the shelf that's eye level. That's the shelf you look to first. And it says, when Jesus says that, it's as if he's saying, allow the kingdom to be eye level. Put it somewhere before you that you're not looking for it or eventually getting to it. Put it somewhere that's eye level. Seek it first. See it first. And then all these things will be added. And then you can worry about the other things. Then you can worry about the things that won't matter 100 years from now. But first, seek what's going to matter 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, into eternity. Now, what's interesting about you know, their ability to interpret is, is a lot of times in their in their questioning of Jesus, they often go, Either to the future or they go to the past. All right. Well, the traditions of the elders. Doesn't it say this? in, or they go to the future. What's you know? And later on, we're going to find out the Sadducees are going to come back in Matthew chapter uh, twenty or twenty-two around there, and they're going to talk about the resurrection, future. And it's as if Jesus is saying that the the priority is not the past or the future, but the present. The signs of the times, when Jesus says signs of the times, here's what he's saying. He's saying there's something pointing not to the past or the future, but to the present. And what you are missing is the sign that points to the fact that God is at work right now. So they're big on God was working back then. They're big on, okay, God is gonna work in the future. But the sign of the time that Jesus is presenting before them is, God is working right now. And that sign stands before you. And how is it that you can look at a red sky and interpret in the morning and the evening what it's gonna mean. But you can't look at what God is doing right now. I think it's fascinating that oftentimes it's the past and the future that we focus on and we miss God in the present. because oftentimes we're going to get to this oftentimes the work that God is doing in the present is not the work that we expect him to do and 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 can I submit that it might not be the work that we want him to do Fair hello yeah. because the present is is it it doesn't it doesn't feel significant enough it's it doesn't feel big enough it's the present feels like Jesus coming in on a donkey. The present feels like Jesus being born in a manger. That's what the present feels like. And so we have all these expectations for what God should do in the future that we miss what God is doing in the present. Hello? And then he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. And so now Jesus Jesus is really unveiling their hearts that Not only can you not interpret the signs of the times, but the motive of your heart is actually evil. They seek a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And then this is cold. Matthew just puts it in there this is cold. So he left them and departed. (laughs) Jesus is cold with it. He says, No sign is going to be given to you. And he left. Right? And he left. Isn't that interesting? They ask God for a sign, and God says no. They ask God for a sign, and God says no. And this that's a whole can of worms, by the way, that I've just opened just by saying that. And we don't have the time to go into, into that kind of study tonight, but Oftentimes, if God says no, it's not because he wants to say no. It's not because he's denying us. It's often because we're denying something he's already doing. It's not God denying us. It's usually an indication that we're denying him. Does that make sense? All right, so Jesus leaves because he recognizes their evil motives then it says, when the disciples reached Galilee, which is or which, when they reached the other side, which is the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they've forgotten to bring any bread. Uh-oh. They're going on a long journey, and they forget to bring food. <laughs> Here's the funny. This is, why, this is where it gets kind of funny. Jesus says to them, okay, nobody's bringing up the, the forgotten bread yet, okay? Jesus says to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And then they begin discussing it among themselves. So they haven't brought Jesus into it yet, okay? Verse 7 says, they begin discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. Because Jesus is talking about leaven, yeast. I go, he's talking about yeast, talking about leaven. We, we forgot the bread. Bro, you, you, could you just imagine the scene? They're on a boat, Sea of Galilee, are going to get us... We, you you didn't bring the bread. I didn't bring the. I didn't know I was supposed to bring the bread. I thought you were bringing the bread. I, I didn't. Nobody told me about the. They're discussing it among themselves. This is this is real life. Hello. This is real life. And Jesus says to them, "Watch, you know." And, and then it says and this says verse seven. They begin discussing it among themselves. We brought no bread. Um, and maybe in their mind, they're thinking Jesus is upset. That's why he's bringing up the leaven. Maybe, right? Oh, he's talking about the leaven. He knows we brought no bread. Oh my gosh, we forgot the bread. And then verse eight, this is interesting, but Jesus aware of this. Notice it doesn't say Jesus overhearing them because they're keeping it to themselves, right? You know, there's a lot of things we try to keep to ourselves. But can I tell you, God is aware of every little thing. He's aware of it. So you might as well bring him in the discussion you might as well go to him for counsel. You might as well reach out to him because he's aware of it anyways. Right? And we're funny like that. We're, we're you know, we'll be, we'll be sour and salty and then we come before God. Okay, everything's all right. But it's like, God is like, no, just bring your salty, sour self to me. Let's, let me deal with you. You know what I mean? Let me deal with you because I can. I know it's in your heart. And so... This is what I love about God. God's not, God's not into playing games. God's not into playing acts. He's after the heart. He's aware of this, and he says, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread, okay? Now, as Jesus is talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he's trying to make a separate point. How many know it's not about the bread that they forgot, Okay? But the obvious thing is not obvious to them. In fact, what they think is obvious is the fact that they have no bread. And so everybody is pointing out the obvious. We forgot the bread. And isn't it interesting, you have a boat full of disciples all pointing out the obvious, and they're all missing the point. They're all pointing out the obvious, and yet they're missing the point. Look at what he says, verse 9. Do you not yet perceive... Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Right, you remember the leftover baskets. In that case, it was 12. Yes. Or the seven loaves for the five th- for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? In that case, it was seven. In other words, they're operating in this, it's like Jesus is taking them on assignment. Jesus is taking them on mission. He's trying to teach them something. They're missing the point. And he goes, you're worried about things that you shouldn't be worried about because I've proven myself in those areas. Yes. Are you are you testing me? <laughs> right? And it's like and it's like as if Jesus by bringing those moments up is saying to the disciples, I am the God of more than enough. So don't question what you have or don't have in your hands. Trust me. Verse 11, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? I'm not talking about bread. I'm not talking about your physical needs right now. He says it again beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I love how Matthew throws this in here. Then they understood. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of what? The teaching. The teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the leaven is the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? And Jesus' whole thing is, how did you miss this? How did you not understand that this is what I was saying? And I think one of the reasons we miss Jesus is because we're often preoccupied. Hello? We, we are preoccupied. And oftentimes it causes us to miss Jesus because our mind is focused on something else. Our attention is focused on Something else. They're they're preoccupied with what they need, what they think they need. They're preoccupied with their physical needs so much so that they couldn't hear Jesus because of where their focus was. See, the reality is, you not everybody. When you know, Bible study. We don't have a lot of people but on Sunday morning, for instance. Everybody's, everybody's here. Everybody's hearing words, but not everybody's listening. Hello? Hey. And so as, as a pastor, as a preacher, I have to remind myself of that. That I'm not just speaking to everybody that's either in the room or watching online. I'm not. And I've shared this before with you, that it's, it's those who... who would allow the Holy Spirit to give them eyes to see and ears to hear. Because you can come into a space like this, but if your mind is preoccupied, Jesus himself could be up here speaking and you not hear it. Because your mind is preoccupied. And in their case, they're focused on lack and Jesus... Reminds them of the abundance that's found in them. But back to the leaven. The leaven is the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And in reality, I think what the the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees is, it's, it's an attitude of unbelief that doesn't allow you to see Jesus for who he is. That wants more than who he is. Now listen to me. If you are not content with who Jesus is, there is nothing that he can give you that will satisfy you and fulfill you. So they want more than who he is. And notice what they try to do, okay? Because they want him to do a sign at the beat of their drum. Hello? Jesus is doing signs already. But remember, they're, they're religious leaders. They have influence. Jesus is a threat to their influence. And so what happens? They come on the scene. They say, hey, Jesus, you're all this and all that. Well, we want to tell you, do a sign. And Jesus does a sign. Well, whose, influences, whose influence gets vindicated? Theirs. You see that? And so what do they try to do? They try to control the Messiah instead of surrendering to him. They try, they try to control the Messiah instead of surrendering to him. See, See. if God is not a real person, and if, he, if God is just words in a book, you can manipulate him. But because God is a real person, it's harder to manipulate him. Hello? It's, it's harder to manipulate God when he shows up right in front of you. When it's not just words that they can manipulate, but remember, they were doing this. I've taught you this, right? It wasn't just about what does the Bible say. It was about, well, what does rabbi so-and-so say about what the Bible says? Now, some closing thoughts, and we'll be out of here. Are we haven't an okay time. I'm having a good time. I don't know about you. Um, how do we miss Jesus? How do we miss Jesus? How do we miss Jesus? So they miss Jesus because I think they had certain expectations of how God should behave. That God, that we've only known and experienced God to move in this way. And so if he shows up looking any different, well, it must not be God. And so the reality is, as disciples, those of us that are here wanting to go deeper, become more consistent followers of Jesus, discipleship involves us letting go of certain expectations. So I'm having a conversation with a friend of mine, and I always cherish these conversations, and we're just talking, and, and uh, we, begin at, we begin talking about, you know, the just the importance of, learning to invite people that God has just placed in our life into the story of Jesus. And we're like, man, how do we, how do, we do, how do we continue to become people who do this in a, in a strategic way, but in a genuine way? Because these are people that aren't necessarily in our life enough that we have the freedom to just say whatever we want. But they're in our life so much so that we have the opportunity to at least have a conversation. And as we're talking, he's asking, me, man, how do, you, how do you do it? How do you, how do you go about it? And I said, you know, to be honest, I'm still learning to do this. And um, I don't think you can ever get to a point where you have figured out the formula, by the way. And if you have, come tell me because I'd love to know. Because even in my life, I can look at people who I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours with discipling, and when I look at them now, there's no fruit. And I'm like, I've I've poured hours and hours and hours. And I can look at other people in my life that I may have a conversation with a couple times here and there, and I get to just say a couple of things and speak a couple of things into their life and they're bearing so much more fruit. There's no formula for this. There's no formula for this. There is, I open my mouth and say, okay, Holy Spirit, do your thing. Because I can do what I can do and you can do what only you can do and so I'll do what I can do and leave the rest up to you. I can tell you of people that I meet with maybe once a year. And there's fruit. So there's no formula. You know what I'm saying? There's no... I don't care how spiritual you are, your words cannot change a human heart. Your words can't. Do you know how freeing it was for me when I became okay with that? That I cannot change a human heart. I became so free. So free. And so discipleship involves letting go of certain expectations. Um, it, It involves us saying, I'm gonna actually follow Jesus on his terms and not mine his terms not mine and by the way we have a way of spiritualizing our own terms to make it seem like they're his terms because we use religious language hello <laughs> i'm just you know i'm just i'm just following the lord All right, I don't have enough time to go into that. But so his terms are your terms, and don't just religi- religious, don't just make your terms more religious and call it his. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees did, by the way. Why are your disciples uh, picking grain on the Sabbath? Why are you healing people on the Sabbath? Hey, you, 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 who used to be uh, you couldn't walk. Why are you walking around parrying, carrying your bed? It's a, it's the Sabbath. Religious language that convinces you that it's God's terms when really it's yours. Yes, yes. We, we miss God when we only rely on human understanding and human perspective. When we only look at Jesus through a humanistic lens and not the perspective of God. This is why there's these, there's these two moments, right? The baptism and then at the Mount of Transfiguration where God speaks and vindicates his son. This is my beloved son. And so we have to look at Jesus through, his, through, through the lens of God. It's dangerous to only rely on human understanding. Now let me say this because the Pharisees are guilty of this, right? Because the Pharisees, I want you to know the Pharisees and Sadducees are offended people. Now I didn't, I didn't see this at first, but I'm, I'm reading, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, what's happening here? This is not just a, we want Jesus out of the scene. It's they're offended, they're hurt. That's why they are able to come together. Two groups, former enemies, they're they're coming together. You ever you ever notice wounded people always find find other wounded people? Offended people always find other offended people. You know what I mean? Because they don't want anybody to call them out on it. And so let's let's just get into our corrupted company of each other. And what happens, notice, their offense causes them to test God rather than trust God. That's what offense will do. Offense will come into your life and it will cause you to test him rather than trust him. and and you will and you will and you will begin to say things and pray things that are that are that are completely off like god prove to me you still love me that you're for me by showing me that you're against them cuz you, when you're offended you you find pleasure hello in them being wrong in God not working things out for them, but working things out for you. And you go, see, God loves me. And you, and you, and you misunderstand that, that God's favor is actually a sign of his common grace, and it's a sign of his mercy. It's not a sign that you're right. It, it could be a sign that you're wrong. Because it's his goodness that leads to repentance. And so maybe if God is really being good to you, the question you should be asking is, where am I wrong? It's his goodness that leads us to repentance, his kindness. And they're offended. They're offended that God would move and work in a way that they think he shouldn't have in they ask him for a sign. You know, the problem with signs is you always need another sign. You always need another sign. But the greatest sign is the sign of his presence, church. That's the greatest sign. I was having a meeting with somebody, a conversation with somebody, and, and we begin to talk, and as he's sharing his story, just honestly, and you know, I think a lot of people struggle with this, and it's there's the distance that that gets created between me and God. When, when, I, when I sin and when I, when I do things wrong and, and when, when I do things right, it's like me and God are, are best friends. But when I do things wrong, it's like me and God are so distant. And a, and a little while ago, God had revealed something to me that I've held on very tightly to. And I, and I said this to him and I, I said, I said, I said, God actually cannot get any closer to you than he already is. Theologically speaking, your proximity with God cannot increase. He's inside of you. How much closer can you get? (laughs) You're the temple. He's in you. And his word says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Your body is his. I've bought you with my blood. And why would I leave you if I paid such a high price for you? Proximity cannot increase. And that's the greatest sign. The greatest sign is the sign of his presence. Now, could you imagine if Jesus actually gave them what they wanted? They said, okay, give me a sign. And Jesus says, okay, here's a sign. Their whole life, their whole life, would have been built on the wrong foundation. Their whole life would be built on what God can do for them rather than who God is. See, Job says something very interesting where he he says, you know, he prays out to God, he asks God to deliver him, but then he says, even if you don't, Even if you don't, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's interesting. That's interesting. I'm I'm satisfied in who he is. And so I'm not gonna be swayed by what he's doing and what he's not. And I think the Pharisees and Sadducees represent a group of people that are walking by sight and calling it faith. They're walking by sight and they're calling it faith. Show me a sign. Show me a sign. I got faith, show me a sign. See, faith doesn't require proof. The moment faith requires proof, it's, it's, become, it's become sight. And I think we have a lot of Christians walking around by sight and calling it faith. It's not faith. If you can see it. <laughs> it's not faith. That's why, that's why, you know, even on Resurrection Sunday, you heard it. Jesus said to Thomas, You believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That's faith. And so if you really want to have faith, you really want to walk by faith, trust his character. Trust his character. And then just Give in to his ways. You know, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that talks about the Lord directing the steps. The Lord directing the steps. The Lord directing our steps. I think, that's, I think that scripture has been over-romanticized. It's far easier for me to direct my steps than for me to let God direct my steps. Can I just be honest with you? And so I want to be somebody who, who is walking by faith, not by sight. Because if it's the other way around, here's what I'm telling myself. I'm telling myself, God can be manipulated and handled. you might not use those words some of you just your eyes just open wide as soon as i said that but the moment we say to god unless you do this so so my faithfulness to you is predicated on on your performance for me and so And so we try to manipulate and handle God, but God cannot be handled. God cannot be handled. Many have tried. Many have come. Even those who sit and occupy thrones, the Bible says their hearts are in his hands. He handles us. We don't handle him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these moments. Thank you for what you have spoken. Thank you that you have unveiled our hearts and have allowed your life to enter in. Holy Spirit, I pray that each one of us, those here, those watching online, those listening later, God, that you would create in us the ability to see, perceive, and understand that we would not miss you because of our own motives, our own agendas, our own expectations, may we submit to your character, trust you for who you are, and lean into your ways, even if they surprise us. We bless you, we honor you, and we glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray.